Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Just before you sit, take a moment just in quietness. been singing that song for a few years but did you know that this week the earth's population actually passed 8 billion people and every single one of them is precious to God whether they know it or not so we're part of that thank you team you may be um, seated if you want it's a Always a privilege to be able to share God's word with you. My name is Matt and part of the teaching team here. Morning. Um, great to see you. Um, we are currently in a series called I Am. Um, and this morning I'm going to be speaking on the passage of scripture which talks about where Jesus says, I am the gate. You know, your translation might say door. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Door, gate. Um, I'm just going to use the word gate because it's just easier, Okay. So we're going to be in uh, a lot of scripture today, which I make no apologies for, because where else do we find words of life, right? Where else is the nature and character of God found? Well, it's found in lots of places. We've just been singing about it, but um, we find it predominantly in his word, um, his revealed word to us. Um, So, Father, as we come to your word, it's my prayer that, uh, as you promised, your spirit, the Holy Spirit, our comforter and our friend would be our teacher today Um, not my words yours and I pray that as you speak to us as individuals as families and as a church um, as a community and as a nation um, not only would we get to know a little bit more about who you are and what you're like um, but we dare to ask that you might shape and change us to become more like your son Jesus amen So it's entirely possible that in the planning of this series, um, we've gotten the order of this a little bit the wrong way around. Uh, Not technically. Next week, Brett's going to be preaching on the the passage, I am the good shepherd. But in this morning's passage, um, we actually find Jesus giving us three metaphors. The first is where he says, I am the shepherd of the people. And then he says, I am the gate. And then a little later on, he goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. So Brett's going to speak about that next week. Um, And yeah, looking forward to that already. But we're going to dive into John chapter 10 this morning. um, And we'll we'll come to that passage in just a moment. Uh, We'll have a look at it together because I want to unpack um, what it means, what what it doesn't mean. um, And hopefully we might leave this place not just more educated, but a little bit more closer understanding what it means to be in relationship with God and as a follower of Jesus, right? That'd be a good outcome, hey? Excellent. Um, So yeah, Jesus uses three metaphors to describe himself in this passage. I am the shepherd of the sheep, I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd. And metaphors are serving here to give us a picture of what Jesus is, um, of who Jesus is. And perhaps more importantly in this passage, who he is not, actually. So just keep that kind of framework in mind as we read what we're going to walk through today. 
You see, I'll just summarise just for now what we're going to look at. In verses 1 to 5, Jesus is talking about being a shepherd of the sheep, um, a shepherd who enters in through the gate, a shepherd who is recognised by the gatekeeper, and a shepherd who calls his sheep by name, and a shepherd who walks ahead of his sheep. And the picture that we have here, if we were to go back, even today, but if we were to look back into first century shepherding practices... There's a few tongue twisters in this one, right? Shepherding practices. Um, what you would find is that there's two predominant types of sheep pen. Now, I've worked a lot with sheep, but the Australian context is nothing like this, okay? So let me just paint the picture very quickly. There are two types of sheep pens, and the one that we're talking about here in verses 1 to 5 is a communal sheep pen, right? There's a thing, a communal sheep pen. So most villages or towns had, had one or two of these and it kind of worked like if you were a shepherd with a, with a group of sheep, I don't know how many they had, 10, 20, whatever it was, and you needed to put your sheep somewhere safe for the night, you could go to the communal sheep pen which was manned by a gatekeeper and he would let you put your sheep in there so that you could go and do what you needed to do, sleep or have a shower or eat or whatever it was. Um, and then the next shepherd would come and he would put his sheep in there and then another shepherd might come and he would put his sheep in there and there'd be all these groups of sheep in a communal sheep pen. And someone was employed as a gatekeeper to mind the sheep. And in the morning, what you would do is you would go to the sheep pen and the, the gatekeeper would see you and know you because you're regular here. And he would say, oh, yeah, I know who you are. Uh, he would open the gate and you would just stand there and you would call your sheep out. And the ones that belonged to you would leave the other sheep, come out through the gate and follow you off for the day. And then the next shepherd would come and the gatekeeper would see him and go, I know you, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're regular here. He opens the gate, you would go to the gate, you would call your sheep and they would come and then they would follow you off for whatever it is that you were doing for the day, going to find green pastures and still waters. So that's kind of how it worked, a communal sheep pen. So that's the picture we find in this first metaphor in verses 1 to 5. In verses 7 to 10, Jesus tells the people, I am the gate for the sheep. Those who come in through me will be saved and they will come and go freely and find good pastures and they will have a rich and satisfying life. The sheep pen that Jesus is talking about here is a little different because once the shepherd had gone out into the wilderness, they might be gone for a day, they might be gone for a week, they might be gone for several weeks, but dotted around the countryside at various locations were small sheep pens, and you may have seen photos of them. They're, uh, um, they're predominantly made from stone, so it's a stone wall about this high, or, or a bunch of sticks or bushes or whatever, dead bushes piled together in a, in a big ring or a circle shape uh, with, with a gap in the middle, just like this. And that's all it was, a completely enclosed wall with just one gap. And the, the shepherd would take his sheep in there for the night because that's where they were going to rest. And then he would literally lie across the doorway and become the gate. That's the picture in that set of verses. So you can see there are two different pictures here. We're going like, wow, that's amazing because that's a different culture to us. But when Jesus told these parables, it made perfect sense to his audience, right? Because they lived with it every day. They understood exactly what he was talking about. In verses 11 to 18, Jesus, and I'm not speaking on this this morning, Brett, is next week, but I'm going to refer to it. In verses 18 to 11 in this section, Jesus actually declares that he's the good shepherd, not a hired hand who runs at the first sign of danger, but a shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. 
So perhaps a better title for this message might have been Metaphor Madness. Because there's a lot of them here, right? Let's unpack them and see what they mean and what they might tell us for today in 2022. How do we make sense of all of these metaphors? How can Jesus be both the shepherd and the gate? doesn't kind of make sense to our logical mindset. And it would be easy for me to say, well, you know what? Brett's going to preach on the Good Shepherd next week, so I don't have to. But that would be a little bit slack of me with this passage, because actually we can't separate shepherd and gate. They're actually together for a reason. Um, And so I'm going to touch on it a little bit. And... um, the Lord willing, Brett will expand on that next week. No pressure, mate. Okay, it's all, it's all good. <laughs> what is Jesus saying here? In order to make sense of this passage, John chapter 10, verses 1 through to 10, we actually need to spend the majority of today in John chapter 9. Because what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10, is in direct relation to the events of John chapter 9. Now, maybe a story that you're familiar with. I'm going to read the whole chapter to you. So I just want you to, you're welcome to follow along if, if you like. But if it's easier and you can think more and process more just by listening, then just do that. As I read this story, it'll, it'll be familiar to most of you, I imagine. And as I often say, try to approach this story as if you've never heard it before. Try to see what the Spirit of the Lord might be telling you as you hear it afresh um, and as we walk through what it is that's going on that elicits the response of Jesus in the passage that we're actually looking at today. I'm going to highlight four key statements or ideas just to help you. And as I highlight them, if you're able, just lock them away in the back of your mind uh, because they will form really the framework for what it is that Jesus is actually talking about when he gives these metaphors in John 10. Does that make sense? Uh, Let's just get into it, eh? John chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his, the sins of his parents. Sorry, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Ew. Right? But that's what he did. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back, seeing. His neighbours and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man that used to sit and beg? Some said he was, but others said, no, 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 it just looks like him. But the beggar himself kept saying, yes, I am the same one. So they asked him, who healed you? What happened? So he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Where is he now? They asked him. I don't know, he replied. 
So they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God for he's working on the Sabbath. Seriously? (laughs) They had a law. They, they made a law because, you know, the, the, the command was keep the Sabbath holy, don't work. But they made all these other rules about what, you know, we've talked about this, Dave has talked about this, about, you know, the fences that they made to try to define what was and wasn't the law. And once they started building fences, they just couldn't stop. So one of the rules was if you make mud, you're obviously building, that's work, don't do it. Right? All he, I won't show you what he did, it's disgusting. All he did was make a little bit of mud and put it on the guy's eyes. And the the Pharisees are going, worker! (laughs) A little bit harsh. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. But others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? And here's the first key that I want you to lock away. So there was a deep division among them. You can see where the division comes. There are those who are saying he did it on the Sabbath, he worked, so therefore he broke the law. He mustn't be from God because he broke the law. And there are those who are saying, but he's just an ordinary man and yet he's done such a miraculous thing. You can see the the conflict. There was a division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about the man who healed you? This is almost comical, actually. What's your opinion about the man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. Then the Jewish leaders still refused to believe that the man had even been blind and could now see, so they called his parents. You know you're in trouble when mum and dad get a call, right? Some of you are laughing, I know why. You know you're in trouble when mum and dad get a call. And they asked his parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how is it that he can now see? Good questions. His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. (laughs) Thanks, Mum. His parents actually said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced, and this is the second key that I want you to lock away. They announced, anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. Expelled is not like when you have to not be at school for a week because you've been a very naughty person, okay? Expelled from the synagogue means excommunicated. Put, put out of community until you either confess and repent and probably pay something and do what the law requires, if at all you were allowed to do that at all. So it's quite a serious, you know, it's not like, oh, go away, you're a problem. It's like, you can leave, That's why his parents said, 
he's old enough, ask him yourself. So for the second time, the Pharisees called the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this, because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. To which the man replied, well, I don't know whether he is a sinner, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked? How did he heal you? They're persistent, if nothing else. Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? (laughs) Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we, we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. The man replied, well, that's very strange. I like this guy. That's very strange, he said. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? You see the play on words here? The Pharisees are going, we don't even know where he comes from, meaning what town is he from? What's his lineage? What, what tribe of, you know, where did he come from? And the guy's going, really? He healed me and you don't know where he comes from? He's got them stitched up, I'd say. He continues to speak to the Pharisees. We know, and he obviously has a bit of an education um, of some sort. We know that God doesn't even listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his, his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. And here's the next key that I want you to lock away. If this man were not from God, he could not have done it. That's a pretty serious insight, isn't it? That's a deep revelationary truth that this guy's just spoken about the nature of God and what he's like. To which the Pharisees replied, you were born a total sinner. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man, which is a title Jesus gave himself. You could correctly render that Son of God. Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. And here's the the fourth and final key that I want you to lock away. Jesus replied to him, you have seen him and he is speaking to you. You have seen him and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think that they can see that they are blind. Some of the Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying that we're blind? To which Jesus responded, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Now we're going straight into chapter 10 because there are no divisions in the original text. This is part of the same narrative. 
but you remain guilty because you claim that you can see. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognise his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from a stranger because they don't know his voice. It's actually really important for us as a thinking community to actually dive really deeply into this and get an understanding of what it is exactly that Jesus is saying here um, because this passage is actually very easily misinterpreted. So I'm going to try and attempt to do that. We're going to dive in very deep here. Hang on, enjoy the ride. Because it's really important that we understand um, how this uh, parable, is actually a parable in verses 1 to 5, works. You see, in some parables, uh, every item or character in the parable has a specific meaning, right? I think that's called an allegory. Oh, I'm, not sure. I'm not really an English expert. I'm just going by what more, input, more smarter people would say. But that's an allegory. Uh, let me give you an example of, of an allegory so you can see the difference, right? A, a very well-known one um, is the parable of the sower, which is also known as the parable of the four soils, right? You've heard that story. Each of the elements has a specific meaning. In fact, Jesus actually interprets them to those who are listening to that particular story. The seed is the word of the kingdom. The hard ground represents someone who is hardened by sin. Um, the stony ground pictures a man who professes delight in the world, um, but his heart remains unchanged. The thorny ground depicts the one who seems to receive the word, but whose heart is full of other distractions and so doesn't pursue it um, and ends up having no time for it. The good ground portrays the person who hears understands and receives the word and allows the word to accomplish the results that it needs to in his life. You're familiar with that parable and how it works? Um, the man represented by the good ground is the only one of the four who is truly saved because salvation's proof is fruit. That's, what the that's how the parable works. Each of those elements has a specific meaning. However, the parable we find in John 10, 1 to 5 doesn't work like that. <laughs> It's completely, completely different textually in structure. You see, in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 5, the individual items in the story actually combine or build together to provide one idea. So the, so the, so the gate doesn't have a specific meaning, the gatekeeper doesn't have a specific meaning, the, the voice doesn't have a specific meaning, the whole story combines to provide one meaning. Do you see the difference? It's not an allegory slightly different. There you go, you're becoming educated. So what Jesus is saying really is this, in verses 1 to 5 of John 10, a legitimate shepherd has no need to sneak into the sheepfold because he's there for his own sheep, right? Makes sense, doesn't it? The gatekeeper knows who he is and allows him to enter because a legitimate shepherd is able to call his sheep out because they hear and recognise his voice. We've already talked about how that works. In contrast, an illegitimate shepherd is not known by the gatekeeper, so he has to sneak into the sheepfold and steal sheep because there's no way that they're going to follow him because they don't know his voice. So there's one point to this parable, and the point is this, that it, that, and this is what Jesus is saying, is that he is the legitimate shepherd who cares for the sheep, as opposed to a shepherd who does not care for the sheep. 
A legitimate shepherd has no need to operate in any other way than in the open, with integrity and with compassion. A legitimate shepherd cares for his sheep and does what is best for them. An illegitimate shepherd cares only for himself and what he might get out of the sheep. And it's usually a few lamb chops and a roast. You see the point of the parable? It all works together to provide one point. And the contrast here between the illegitimate shepherd and the legitimate shepherd, the contrast in this parable is directly related to the experience of the blind man who can now see. That's the reason Jesus is saying it. And although there is no direct relationship between the elements of the parable and what happens in the, in the story that it follows, there are certainly some associations that are hard to miss and quite intentional. The Pharisees, who have interrogated the blind man, are supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. That's their role, right? That's their job. Supposed to be, traditionally. To care for, to protect, to nourish the flock the people. Anywhere in scripture we, we, we hear this idea of the flock or the sheep, it's always in reference to God's people. So um, we, we just use those terms interchangeably. It's not, it's just, it's, just the, it's just the analogy. They're supposed to be the shepherds. But instead of caring and protecting and nourishing, what we find in this story is that they've expelled the healed man from their community. Why? because they refuse to believe that Jesus and his healing work are from God. Their actions would suggest, and I think that's actually a bit of a soft word and I probably shouldn't have used it, but their actions actually prove that they are more concerned about guarding their power and authority than they are about the well-being and security of the man who's just spent his whole life begging as a blind person. even in the face of overwhelming evidence. You can't deny it. Everyone saw it. They choose to ignore, to reject that this Jesus is who he claims to be. And after his expulsion from the synagogue, Jesus seeks the man out and brings him into his own community of followers. It's a beautiful picture brings him into his own community. But see, because for the man who was born blind, salvation doesn't just mean that he's received his physical sight, he's also gained spiritual sight. And that's really important to note because he recognised who Jesus was. He believed in him and he became a part of the community of followers. See, not only did this man see Jesus but he followed his voice. You start to see the connection between the story and the parable that Jesus tells. And of course, that led to a new life. His days of isolation are now over. He has a new identity. He is no longer the blind beggar that sits by the gate, but a valued member of Jesus' flock, cared for and protected by the shepherd who is the gate. 
But verse 6 tells us that those who were listening to Jesus didn't get it. Let's have a look. John chapter 10, verse 6 through to John 10. 10. And those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. just a little bit unfortunate for us that Jesus chooses to explain his first parable with a completely different parable. (laughs) Actually, it's not as strange as you might first think. Let me explain. You see, the key to understanding this metaphor lies in understanding who Jesus is talking about in verse 8. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. It's really, really important that we understand who the all is here, okay? We need to pay attention to this because a wrong understanding or interpretation here can actually lead to some very, very dodgy theology and has led to dodgy theology over the centuries, dangerous theology. You see, in Greek, the structure of this phrase makes all the difference So allow me to paraphrase what's actually being said here and then I'll explain how it works. You see, literally what Jesus is saying in this verse is this, and it's all got to do with the way one word has its focus on another. I'm not a Greek expert, I I pretend to be, and I really have to study hard to get my head around this stuff, but once you see it, it'll make sense. See, literally what Jesus is saying is this, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me, meaning those claiming to be the gate, that's important, were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. You see, the all here is not a reference to every Old Testament prophet, leader, teacher or priest, or even to the Old Testament writings themselves. And there has been a whole lot of theology pushed forward over the centuries that suggests that, that, that it is. But it's not. It's not a reference to, it's not a blanket reference to every single person who ever came before Jesus. We know that because if we're good students of theology, we also know that we have to take into account what the rest of Scripture has to say, right? You can't take a passage like this out of isolation and go, you know what? That verse says that everything and everyone that came before Jesus was a thief and a robber. Well, that would be wrong because there's so much scripture which proves that to not be true, right? For example, Jesus himself in several places makes it clear that there were many who came before him, like Abraham, Moses, the prophets, John the Baptist, others, who faithfully pointed toward Jesus as the only way to salvation. So the all here doesn't mean all, it's actually in reference to those who think they're the gate. Does that make sense? Those who think they're the gateway to God or those that teach that there's another gateway to God, they're the ones I'm talking about. They're the thieves and robbers. So everyone who came before me who thinks they're that, they're not. Does that make sense? Oh, good. It took me about 
a week and a half to get my head around that. <laughs> Even the scriptures themselves. You know, there are people who would say, we don't need the Old Testament, it's irrelevant. That's rubbish. Because the scriptures themselves point toward the coming sent one, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. Even the scriptures themselves point towards Jesus as the one sent from God. I'm going to read to you a passage from John chapter 5. Just listen along. It's just one example of where Jesus himself is talking about this idea. And again, he's talking to the Jewish leaders and he's really getting stuck into them. He said, if I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. He's using their own logic against them there. It's great. But someone else is also testifying about me. And I assure you that everything he says is true about me. In fact, you yourselves sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist. And his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witness, but I say these things so that you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp. And you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. They're another witness to who Jesus is. The Father gave me these works to accomplish and they prove that he sent me. See where this connects? And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. That's a tough word. He goes on, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you, for I have come to you in my Father's name and you have rejected me, yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honour each other, but you don't care about the honour that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet, he keeps going, yet it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses himself will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put all your hope. If you really believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote... How will you even believe what I say? Wow. Sit down. <laughs> so the whole point of this metaphor is that when Jesus declares, I am the gate, he means that he is the one through whom the sheep must pass to find safety and protection. He is the one through whom all humanity must come through to find God, if you want to put it like that. He is the only way to, to salvation. It's important to note, I think, however, as one other author mentioned, um, that this metaphor of the gate is not one of exclusion. And that's another dodgy doctrine that I think we've embraced that we shouldn't have. It's not one of exclusion. It's not a license to think of ourselves as Jesus' true sheep and everyone else is an outsider. 
you've got to remember the context here. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. And in fact, in verse 16, which again is not in my realm today, but I'm going to mention it anyway, Jesus actually says, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Do you recall the series we did in Ephesians? How many years ago, a couple of years ago now, even, my goodness, we talked about that idea of, of a one, one group, you know, the, the dividing barrier collapse, is pushed down, and there, there are one, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, men, women. You, you remember that? Here it is again. There will be one flock, one shepherd. The purpose of the gate is not to keep sheep out, actually. <laughs> Rather, the purpose of the gate is to guard against all that threatens the well-being of the sheep. And there's a big difference between the two, right? Thieves, bandits, wild animals. It goes on to talk about wolves. And, of course, wolves is always a picture of the, the Pharisees in the New Testament often. And so Jesus is actually having a go at them personally. Anyone who would seek to destroy or pull down God's people, and especially those who look to make personal gain in power, profit and status. Thieves and robbers. And in many ways, the metaphor of the gate helps to clarify, I think, the image of Jesus as the true shepherd. Andrew, it's your time, mate. We had a conversation about how we'd know. I told him he'd know. not you see the metaphor of the gate helps clarify the image of Jesus as the true shepherd I love the promise in verse 10 I love it a thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life um uh, Another, your, your translation or another translation would quite rightly say, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or if you're a child of the 80s, life to the max. Mintos, Mintos stop it. <laughs> you know what the exciting thing about this promise is? That a full, abundant and satisfying life not actually a future experience it's not a future experience it is but it's not just we've talked about this before we've talked about this in our sermon on the mount series do you recall the kingdom of heaven is near so near you could almost grab it because actually it's right here now it's it's that type of thinking A full and abundant and satisfying life. Life to the full is not just a future experience. It's not just something to look forward to. It's a life that can be experienced now. And I know, and Imogen was sharing this beautifully this morning, that sometimes it doesn't feel like that. But it's still true. The whole of John's Gospel, it actually has several meta-themes that run right through it, and one of them is the meta-theme of the gift of life. 
In John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Each of, the, each of these words in these passages, in this theme in John, speak of the present as well as the future. They all have that duality pretty much. John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And John 20, 31, but these are written so that you may believe and that through believing you may have life in his name. Life in his name. This idea of life or eternal life in John's gospel, as I've said, is not just about life after death. It is a life that brings, that, that begins in the here and now, in the, in the present reality. It's about knowing the voice of the good shepherd who truly cares for us. It is life in community, finding security and nourishment as we go freely in and out of the gate. What a beautiful picture that is. It is life that abounds in meaning and value and endures beyond death. It's actually about God's plan to see humans flourish. I don't normally do this because I'm not wired that way. But my gut, as we were singing this morning, we're going to do that song. Is that, are we able to? Brilliant. Just as we were singing a song before communion, I just really sensed the Spirit say that today it might be a really good day for some people to step through a gate. I don't even know what that gate is. I'm not even going to name it because it's not my gate to step through. But God's inviting you to step through a gate today whatever that is for you. And we have a wonderful team of people who are passionate about praying, who would love to pray for you. You don't need me to pray for you. We've got a team that can do that. So as we sing this song, as you reflect on what it means, what you've heard today, what it might be saying to you, if you really feel that God's inviting you to step through whatever the gate is for you today, then, then do that actually do that um, come and just come down over here and have a chat with one of the people on the prayer team and I'd love to pray for you, just hear some of your story pray for you and just see what God does just see what he wants to do in your life today just as we go into this song let me pray and then I'm just going to leave it to the team who know what they're doing best Father, we thank you for your word. It's rich and vibrant and exciting and sometimes hard to understand. But we thank you that by your spirit you teach, you reveal, you encourage and you nurture us as we 
grapple with it, as we meditate on it, as we chew it over, as we talk about it with one another. Lord, it's my prayer that we would continue to do that as a community, whether this word or ones that we've heard or just a word that springs to mind that we've been reading. Father, may we become more and more a community that loves to talk about what you're saying to us. Not for the sake of having a spiritual conversation, but because we want to grow together, learn from one another and learn from you. Encourage one another, pray for each other, walk in each other's shoes a little while and be the community that you're calling us to be. Thank you that you are the, both the gate and the shepherd. Our salvation is secure in only you and through you. And you invite us to step through the gate because not only is that a place where you keep us safe and secure, but it's also through you whom we can pass out through the gate and follow you as you lead us into wherever it is that you lead us on a weekly basis. Amen. I, ha I had a picture this morning just as we're preparing to sing this song. And, and this is just how this spoke to me, this idea that, you know, often we use the words, uh, you know, keep your eyes on Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's valid. Like, look to him, look to him, look to him. That, that's valid. But as I was reflecting on this passage, it, it suddenly occurred to me that when the shepherd calls out the sheep, they don't need to look at the shepherd. They can just keep their heads down and keep chewing grass as they walk. They don't need to look at him because they're listening for his voice. You know, and sometimes in life, just to be honest with you, sometimes it's hard to do this, right? It's hard. Well, I don't know that we always have to. And I'm not saying we don't lift our eyes to Jesus. I'm not saying that. I'm saying sometimes life is such that you just got to keep your head down and go. But keep listening for the voice. The shepherd who leads. Thanks, guys.